Good morning, everybody. How y'all feeling today? Can I steal this one? All right. It has like the clock on it too, so y'all want me to take this one, so you're not here all day long. If it's your first time here, welcome. I know you were expecting Heath, and so you're totally bummed right now, but uh, he will be back. I think he'll actually be back with y'all next week. I love your pastor. He is he is just an awesome guy. Uh, so he's actually he's at Coastal right now. He's probably preaching right now at this very moment. And uh, I don't know if they gave him as good of a welcome as y'all just gave Alan. But, like, <laughs> I was like, man, who is Alan? Like, I'm, like, signing for autographs after service or something. Like, dang, I hear you. Like, where's he at? You see, he's already gone. See, that's how you do it. You, like, you do a big intro, you drop the mic, and you just walk out. Like, I hear him. He's learned. Hey, so we're going to read a portion of scripture this morning, and um, are you expecting God to do something? Like, I hope you didn't come here this morning with the idea of, like, you're just going to listen to a band play, or you're just going to listen to a guy speak. Like, that's not what we came here for. You could get that anywhere. Like, we came here to worship. We came here to meet Jesus. You didn't come here to hear anything from Lucas, but man, you need God to speak to you this morning. Is there anybody in here that you just need God to speak to you this morning? You didn't come looking for just any old regular Sunday. You came looking for something. God, you've got to show up. See, until you get to that place where it's like, God, I need you like I've never needed you before. God, if you don't show up, this ain't going to work. Kind of, I need you. See, we kind of like to have plan B and C and all these other things. And like, well, if this doesn't work, well, I'll do this. And if this job doesn't work, I'll go back to this. But then there's those moments where, God, if you don't show up, I don't know how we're going to make it. And so I don't know about you, but I'm in this moment right now where, God, if you don't show up, I ain't got nothing to say. I've studied. I got a message for you. But, God, I want to hear from you. I, I, I want you to come in and I want you to so fill this place that if there's someone in here today that doesn't know you, God, your presence would draw them. Lord, that this would be the day of salvation for someone. Amen? All right, so let's read from the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Jesus has returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm starting with verse 14. It's probably going to start with 16 maybe on the screen. Uh, Luke 4. Jesus returned to Galilee. He's filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him has spread throughout the region. He has taught regularly at synagogues, and he's praised by everyone. The word about Jesus is spreading. Man, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Now, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, like usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up there, read the scriptures. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. It was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written, and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he pulls an Allen. He rolls up the scroll, hands it to him, and then sits down. He just like drops the mic, and that's it. 
I mean, this is crazy. This is a moment. It says that all eyes were on him. They were looking in, intently upon him. The scripture that you've just read or, or that we've just heard has been fulfilled this day. It's been fulfilled. Now here, like this is, this is a scroll that's been given to him. It's been written from the prophet Isaiah. that has been written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so the people in there, they have, they've heard this scripture time and time again. They, they, they've heard this portion of Isaiah. Uh, you've probably heard this portion of Isaiah uh, many different times, but something's different. Jesus reads it. He preaches the shortest sermon in all of history. It's like four or five lines. He sits down and is like, boom, it's done. And to which everyone's kind of like, what, 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 do, what do you mean it's done? What do you mean it's fulfilled? Like, well, you just said that uh, oppressed are going to be set free, blind eyes are going to be pro- proclaim, uh, release of the captives, uh, all of these things. Nothing's changed in this moment. You just read it and you just said it's done. Hold on, there's, there's still some blind folks over here. There's still people oppressed. There's still people that need to be set free. What do you mean? Like, who does this guy think he is to the point where people look and then they say this? Everyone, they're amazed at his words. And then they say, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's boy? Like, you've got to imagine this moment. This is an intense moment because Jesus is in his hometown. Jesus is speaking to a group of people that he's grown up with. These are people that know Jesus very, very well. This is like Ray Ray and Bob and Jim down the street. And Jesus was playing toys with them and all this stuff. And like they brought, like, isn't, didn't, didn't Jesus, didn't he build you a table, some cabinets, some chairs or something? I mean, 30 years of Jesus kind of hanging out. This is, this is his hometown. These people know Jesus. And so it's like, there's this questions of like, he's just come. He's proclaimed this. He said something in power. But how can it be? Isn't he just a carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph's boy? We don't expect this out of him, because after all, we know him. And for the first 30 years, what has he done? Really nothing. He hasn't really done it. I mean, there's rumors of like being virgin born, but come on, who really believed that? Like, come on, we we know, I I don't know. I mean, it's a touchy situation, but we don't want to get into it. You just grew up. He has brothers. He's had sisters. He's lived this normal life. He He hasn't gone and done all of the things that we're going to read about. He was just another guy. He was just a carpenter's son. And they've heard this. And here's the problem. They can't get past what they know. They can't get past what they know. See, we rarely, if ever, can see past our own expectations. We rarely, if ever, can see past our own expectations. Um, my mother-in-law, wonderful, wonderful woman, lives in Fort Worth, Texas. I married a Texas girl, and everything's supposed to be bigger in Texas, but my wife is like almost five foot tall. She's this little short thing, but she's got the Texas big attitude, right? And, and her mom is all Texas, and, and I love her to death, but Here's the thing, the girl can't cook at all. Uh, and here's the thing, every time she comes to our house, she's like, oh, you know, we just, we just love you. It's just a wonderful son-in-law. I'd like to cook you dinner. Please don't. 
listen, I love you. I love you. You're a wonderful family. Thanks for bringing me in. But you don't have to cook me dinner because you can't cook. I do not want you. And then, and then I said, then let me do it. I mean, Mary, you just sit back. You relax. You're on vacation. You're at my house. Let me bless you with cooking you dinner. And, and then she'll, okay. And about halfway through, she'll try and, like, make her way into the kitchen and try to start helping me. I'm like, girl, you got to go sit down. You, gotta, you, you just can't cook. But anyway, she came, and she said, you know, Lucas, I got this recipe. I want to try it. I think y'all are going to love it. I've kind of I've tried to do my best, but I can't talk her out of it. I'm like, all right, backup plan. We can hit some up, make some Mickey D's later or something, girl. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're probably going to be hungry. But all right, go ahead. Let the girl in the kitchen. So my mother-in-law cooks this meal, and it's good. And I'm blown away. I'm like, how is this even possible that you've cooked a meal? And it kind of comes out around the dinner table, and we're having this conversation. Because, but the problem was, like, I couldn't get past my expectations. See, for, for all of the history that I've known her and all of the times that she's cooked, it's been horrible. And so the very thought and the very idea of her cooking me something good meant I had backup plan after backup plan because I w- did not want to go hungry that night. And see, but I couldn't see past the expectations. And see, the thing is, oftentimes we relate that in every aspect of our life, especially when it comes to relationships, especially when it comes to the people that we're closest to even to church. We have a certain expectation, a a certain flow, a certain rhythm of how we think are going to go. And and whether you realize or not, you think you understand what church is going to look like next Sunday because you experienced church last Sunday. Or because you've been saved for 15 years or 20 years or 40 years. And because it's always been like this, it's always going to look like this. And I don't know. And so we change it from relationships until we change it to church. And then I would go as far as that's how we put God in our little God box. Because, God, I'm not really expecting you to do anything great in my life because, after all, this is all I've, ex- all I've experienced of you up till now. And so when we, when we get hit with, with, with certain things in our life and we find ourselves in prayer and we say, God, I need you to heal me. God, the doctor's report has come back negative. There's cancer. And all of a sudden, I, I, I'm praying the prayers. I'm saying the right things. I'm saying the right words. But if I was to be honest, deep down in my heart, God, I don't know if you're going to come through for me. Because there was those times where it didn't feel like you came through before. And, and, and if I was to get down to it, God, honestly, my trust is more in myself than it is in you. My trust is more in my job. My trust is more in X, Y, or Z, or whatever it may be. And, and we, we can read all the stories, and, and we can hear all the things. And like, man, the idea of like blind eyes being seen, oppressed being set free. But I haven't experienced that yet. I haven't seen, I've heard rumors, people have been talking about it. It's like, even this whole idea of like, Christ is returning. Like, have you read in Revelations where it says like, Jesus is going to return? And then it says this, he comes quickly. And we're like, dude, Jesus, I don't know about your idea of quickly. It's been 2,000 years now. And so like, we get into this mindset, we get into this idea of like, oh yeah, we'll do that tomorrow and the day after that. And like, like, tomorrow's promise, no man. And the fact is, he is coming back, and he is doing it quickly. But we can get into this pattern, we can get into this rhythm where we just begin to expect what we've always gotten. And what happens is the outworking of that is we get what we've always gotten. Um, the, the worship leader of our church, his, his name is 
actually Alan as well, but there's actually a trick to it. His name, his middle name is Alan, and his first name is Christopher. So it's Christopher Alan Stanley. But all of his life, everyone has called him Alan. His mom's called him Alan. Everybody has called him by his middle name, Alan. Uh, he joined the military, joined the Navy. And in the Navy, he said there would be these moments where everybody will, will just, uh, it's in the doctor's office or whatever, and people would call him, you know, Christopher Allen or, or uh, uh, Christopher Stanley. He said he'd be sitting there and just like, who are they talking to? Because all of his life, everybody's called him Allen. And so like, Christopher Stanley, he said, and it would just ding on him. Oh, yeah, they're talking to me. That's right. My, my name is Christopher Stanley. And, and see, he's been called one thing for so long that he's taken on all of that. And here's the point. Some of you have forgotten who you are in Christ. Some of you have forgotten who you are in Christ. So therefore, when God calls you by your proper name, you think he's talking to someone else. When God calls you and tells you, no, no, you are an overcomer. That there's something that's greater inside you than what you even know, than what you've been experienced. Oh, you must be talking about somebody else. You must be talking to Pastor Heath because he's the pastor of the church. You must be talking to someone else that has a title or something. No, no, he's talking to you. But you've missed it because you've associated yourself with a false name. You've associated yourself with a name that maybe other people have been calling you your whole life. But God's called you something else. And the Bible is full of these stories. He has to rename people all the time. No, no, hold on. Peter, you're going to be a rock. You know, I, I know everybody's called you Saul, but no, 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 it's going to be Paul. Like, because I'm calling you by something else. There's going to be something greater than you have experienced. But the world wants to keep drawing us into another name. I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what they call you. It matters what Jesus has called you. It matters what Jesus has called you. Because he was given a name too. His name was the name that was above every name. That at his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Just to say that name, there is something powerful in just the name of Jesus even to the point that before he was conceived in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit, no, hold on, you've got to know, you've got to name him Jesus. You can't name him anything else, Mary. This is the name of this name, Jesus. And all of a sudden, but he gets back into his hometown. They don't really know him by Jesus. They only know him by what they've experienced up to this point, and that's Joseph's son. How can a Savior come from a carpenter's son like he, he, he he's nobody he, he's in his hometown and here's the thing they're searching for a savior but they've missed what's right in front of them they're searching for a savior but they've missed the gift that's right in front of them he's just a carpenter's boy he's just a mechanic just a bass player uh, uh, it's, it's just a, a, a drummer or a singer or an acoustic guitar player you just run sound you just survey lots you just welcome to walmart you know what i'm talking about and we've taken on these things and the thing is we begin to believe it it's hard to recognize the greatness when we've named something by its wrong name see see it's hard to look 
at your spouse, maybe if you're in here with your spouse this morning, and realize, like, there is greatness in that woman. There is greatness in that man. There is greatness in this guy right here. It's hard to recognize that, like, three in the morning when the brother's snoring up a storm and socks are, like, thrown all over the place and, like, he can't close the fridge, but there's greatness in him. There's greatness in you. There's something that God wants to do in you and through you and show it to the world. It's hard to recognize that when you're flipping burgers for seven bucks an hour. You're going to be a world changer. Would you like that supersized? Like there's something inside of you and you know it. God's placed something in you, but there's the reality of what you're living and what you're walking out. And I'm just flipping these burgers. I'm just going, God, I know you've put something else in me. And if we're not careful, we could take on what the world is telling us. Yeah, I'm just a carpenter's son. No, there's really no greatness in me. And see, what happens is it becomes a proximity problem. Sometimes we get too close to see what's right in front of us. See, I think proximity and vision go hand in hand. Sometimes we think of, of having a vision for our life as something that's way out there and we've got, to, we've got to find it, we've got to search for it. But I think sometimes the vision is like right here and God's just like, hello, hello, you're not seeing it, you're missing it because you're too close to it. You've grown up with it. It's, it's laying right beside you. It's flipping burgers. It's opening the door for you at Walmart and you've missed it. It's like trying to find your glasses and they're on your head. Where are they at? And so sometimes the vision becomes a proximity problem. And, and the hardest is recognizing it when it's family. When it's family. The hardest fight that you'll ever have is with families. The worst fights that you'll ever have is with family. Like, you don't believe me? You think you got patience? Show up to a family reunion. Uh-huh. Cops will be called. Y'all be fighting over that last piece of chicken. Because the family, like, there is no, like, you just, you're just you at family. It's just whatever. Oh, there ain't. It's, mm. uh, there's this portion of scripture, and uh, actually, don't throw it on the screen this morning, but in 2 Samuel 18, David is... Uh, He's been kicked out of his kingdom. And, and, and when we think of David, David is, David is this guy that, like, he fights giants, right? He, he, he overcomes Philistines and enemy territory. He's killed lions and he's killed bears. David is, is this amazing thing. But uh, there's this little portion in, in, in 2 Samuel 18 where I would say there's a battle that's overlooked, but it's the hardest battle of David's life. And he's been kicked out of his kingdom and he's kicked, been kicked out by Absalom. And the reason why this is the hardest battle of his life, because now he's getting ready to go at war with his own son. His own son. And, and they meet, and they have this point, this war, and even to the point where David says to his generals, and he says to his captains, but the young man Absalom, just be careful. Because here's the thing, even if I win, I lose. Because that's my boy. I know what he's done to me. I know he's kicked me out. I know all of that. I, I know the fight and I know everything that we're going through. But he's still my boy. See, Absalom couldn't see his father for who he really was. 
See, Absalom wasn't there when David slew the giants. Absalom wasn't there when David had killed the lions and killed the bears. Absalom wasn't there when all of this had happened. He only saw, well, here's my dad. He's getting old, and I could do a better job of being king than he is. So there's this spite to recognize that, listen, sometimes the greatest gift that God has given you is laying right beside you. Sometimes it's, it's those kids that you're raising up in the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the giftings and calling that God has placed on your life is not just to flow to hundreds and thousands of people. It's to flow to that little five-year-old that's looking up to you and just saying, Daddy, Daddy, one more time. One more time, Daddy. That's my daughter's new thing. Like, no matter what we do, it's always just one more time, Dad. Like, we're throwing her up in the pool. My arms are turning into jello. One more time, Dad. One more time. I'm going to throw you so high. I'm going to scare you. And I would, I would literally throw her up. And she'd have this scared, like, oh, my God. And she'd hit, I'd grab her, and she'd hit the water, and she'd, yeah, one more time. It was like from fear to joy in a second because she knew that her dad was going to catch her. Recognizing that. See, our vision can be diminished by the proximity of the people in, in Jesus' own hometown couldn't recognize the gift that was right in front of them. Sometimes it's your own hometown. Listen, I don't know if there's any sports fans in the room, but no matter what sports team, I'm going to use the Cleveland Browns for an example, which is historically the worst team in the entire NFL. More losing games, absolutely. But here's the thing. Even the Browns get cheered in their home stadium, right? Because it's their home stadium. This is Jesus' hometown. If anybody should be cheering them on, it should be these folks. Like, my daughter should know, if anybody's going to cheer her on, no matter what she does in life, dad's going to be over there in her corner. Baby, you can do it. I don't care if it's the worst team in the NFL. I don't care if you've messed up huge. I don't care what everyone else is saying. Daddy's still going to cheer you on because you're my girl. And I love you. And I know God has put something special in your life. And I don't want our proximity to dull my vision of what God is going to do in you and through you. And I've got to be very careful to make sure that I, as her father, can recognize and pull that out in her. And know that no matter what, I love you. I love you. I don't want to miss the gift that's right in front of me. The gift that I wake up to at 3 in the morning that's like, Scaring me. I'm like, whoa, what do you want, daughter? Go back to bed. It's a gift. Sometimes these proximity issues isn't just a matter of distance, but sometimes I've recognized this. Sometimes we can get so close to a thing that we're actually really very, very far away from it. There's a story of the prodigal son. And we have all of these assumptions when we read the story about uh, the prodigal and who he is and what he looks like and how he's gone far away and he's lived this certain lifestyle. But here's the thing. There's actually another son in the story. There's an older brother that has stayed. But here's the thing. He's actually far away. See, because there's a party taking place and he has moved himself to the outside of the camp. 
and he's upset because, Father, what are you doing uh, killing the fatted calf, throwing this party? Do you not know what he's done? Do you know not how, how far away he's gone from your kingdom? But, uh, but I'm right here. I have been here all along. I have worked all along. And here's the father's response. Do you not know you could have a party any time you want? See, you were here, but you were never really here. You were close. See, you, you could hear the music, but you can't enter in the celebration. So you could come to a church service and, and you could hear the music, but you can never really worship. If all you do is find yourself on the outside of the camp pointing fingers saying, why have you done that for them and you haven't done it for me? And so we create this proximity between God and us and our relationships and our friends and our churches and our people. And the thing is, it's hard to convince you to come back to a place that you thought you never left. Did you catch that? It's very hard to convince you to come back to a place that you thought you never left. Because after all, I've been there, I've been working, I've been serving, I've been doing all these things. And the Father's like, will you not enter in to my joy? And so we remain on the outside. There's another story of, of, of Mary and Martha. You all know this story of these two sisters. And, and Martha's in the kitchen. She's frying up the chicken. She's getting everything ready. She's whipping the mashed potatoes. Uh, probably wasn't that. It was probably like lamb and like, I don't know what else they had there. Fish. That's probably a safe one. Lamb and fish. I know they had that in first century Jerusalem. Probably not many chickens running around there. But... She's in there and she's cooking up and she's and she's just she's getting flamed. She's getting heated to the point where she stops the party. Jesus, hold on. Do you not see my sister? Tell her to get in there and get in the kitchen and help me. There was more people at the party. There was more people at this dinner. Why did she point to her sister? Why? Because it's family. And she could get away with it. She wasn't saying, why are these people, why aren't they helping me? No. So, like, we expect certain things because, after all, like, and to which Jesus has to remind her, wait, hold on. I, I know you think this is the way it should be going down, but you've actually missed it. Your sister's doing the better thing right now. See, you've gotten so busy in the kitchen that you've missed the gift that's right in front of you. You're close but you might as well be a world apart. We live underneath the same roof. I call her wife, but there's those moments where we might as well be a world apart. Where I've got to humble myself that maybe I was wrong. Maybe I've come to only expect maybe what I've seen in the past but I'm raising my expectations now, girl. I know God has put something more in your life, and I'm sorry I haven't been the man that I'm supposed to be, but give me, I want to bring out what God has placed in you. I've, I've allowed this proximity for me to just become dull to the gift that's right in front of me. And, and here's the thing. This morning, I, I'm asking you to get hurt again. Because there's some of you in here that you've allowed people to get close. You've, you, you've, you've allowed yourself to believe again, to hope again, only to have it torn apart 
only to have your dreams crushed, only to be told, no, 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 that's not how it's going to work. You're only good for this. You've put yourself out there. You've taken steps of faith, and it didn't work. Here's the thing. It was the same way with Jesus. Jesus is showing up on the scene. He's, he's, he's preached the gospel. He said, today it's finished. You know what happens directly after this? The people get mad at him, and they try to shove him off a cliff. Same thing will happen to us. You'll step out. You'll start moving in faith. You'll start believing. You'll start loving like Jesus loved. You'll start loving without expecting anything in return. And you know what? Instead of all of these things working out good, things will go wrong. There'll be some people that you love, and they'll try to shove you off a cliff. There'll be some people that you try to help, and there's proximity issues, and they'll just, they won't ever see it. They'll only see what they've always saw. But we have to put ourselves out there. We have to allow ourselves this ability to be hurt. We can't let our hearts grow callous. Here's the thing about the pain. Here's about secluding ourselves and allowing that callous in our heart, allowing our hearts to get hardened. Here's the outworking of it. Sure, you'll be safe. People won't hurt you as much. All these things won't happen uh, to you. You, you. you won't feel the pain and the hurt of someone stabbing you in the back. But you'll be lonely. You'll be miserable. Because it's those relationships that, that, that we long for. The very ones that even, even if at the end of the day it hurts me, Jesus says, you know what, you're worth it. Even before all of creation, there was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. I know what it's going to cost me. I know the pain and the hurt that it's going to put upon me. But you know what? It's worth it. And he did it. I wrote this down this week. You can't change what you're not willing to touch. You can't change what you're not willing to touch. Imagine Jesus just looking down from heaven, looking into humanity and looking at the state we were in and how we were just drowning in the sea of death and just saying, all right, I'll pray for you. Like, okay. Like, no. Jesus stepped out of heaven and into humanity, took on the form of a servant and died death on a cross. He touched it. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He knows all of that. I was in... uh I was in India, and uh, we had been doing some ministry out in the valley somewhere. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we bring this home. Uh, and I actually had got to the point where I hadn't, hadn't eaten in a few days. It, it had been probably two, two and a half, maybe three days. Hadn't eaten, and uh, things were going we got on this train, we're on this long train ride to go back into a city, and the, uh, the, the, the local missionary that I was there with, an uh, Indian guy, he had made a connection with one of his cousins to meet us at this train station to bring us some rice so we could have something to eat. So we go to this, this train station, and, and, and I step out the train, and there's this moment where I'm literally surrounded by pain and suffering and hurt 
And there's, without exaggeration, there's hundreds and hundreds of people, and there's all of these small children that are missing limbs. And they have all of these open sores on their body. There was one little kid that he didn't have his legs, and he was just sat on the skateboard, and their clothes were falling apart, and it was just dirty. And it was 110 degrees, and the smell. And I'm looking at these people, and I'm looking at the face of them, and about the time my heart's just, it's just breaking. But the, 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 the missionary guy comes in, and he has these, these Tupperware things with all this rice in it. And I'm thinking, I haven't eaten in a few days, and I'm hungry. But these guys, man, they haven't eaten in who knows how long. And I looked at them like, can I just give my food to them? I know it's only this little bowl of rice, but there's no way I could eat this in front of them. It's just, I can't. But there was a problem because uh, the Tupperware was really valuable. And he's like, man, we can't, you can't just give away this Tupperware. We need to give this back to, to, to the Indian gentleman that brought it. I didn't know what to do. And so I found this, there was like all this old newspaper, just crumbled up nasty newspaper, and I laid it on the floor there, and I just dumped my rice on this newspaper. And there was just 40, 50 kids instantly surrounded, just picking up this rice, just eating this rice. And I just stepped back. And then there was this moment of just... Jesus. And here was this moment where the scripture verse came alive to me. I have food that you don't even know of. I wasn't hungry at all. See, I understood what Jesus meant because I was there and I touched it and and I tasted it and I smelt it and I was surrounded by it and I understood it. And see, we live in this society that says like, We can love from a distance. We can have compassion from afar. But the truth is you can't change what you're unwilling to touch. And you have to get down in there and you have to touch it. The pain and the hurt and the suffering of humanity will not be changed with a Facebook post. It will not be changed with your Instagram account or another blog post. And we are delusional if we think we're doing our part by dropping a few bucks in the offering And and, and, no, that is not good enough. You have to get out there and touch it and taste it and feel it and be his hands and feet. You have to pray, but it's not enough to just pray. You have to put motion to it. We have to get out there. We have to allow ourselves to get hurt again. We have to put it out there. We have to take the blinders off. There's going to be moments where people will try to push you off a cliff. There will be those in your own hometown that instead of cheering you on, will boo you. But you've got to do it. You're going to get so busy cooking in the kitchen that you're going to forget who it's for, and Jesus is going to have to bring you back. Hold on. Wait a second, Martha. Just sit right here. Slow down people of Nazareth, all they could see was a carpenter's son. So Jesus couldn't do much there because they got exactly what they expected. What have you been expecting God to do? What have you been expecting God to do in your marriage? What have you expecting God to do in your family? What have you been expecting God to do in your church? What have you been expecting God to do in your life? You're getting ready to plant a church. 
you need to raise your expectations. I don't care what anybody tells you that, hey, it's just going to look like this. And there's just going to be a few people. And this is how. No, no. You need to raise your. You need to stop looking what everyone else says and start saying, God, what do you want to do in this church? Because, God, that's what I want. I want to do what you want me to do. Now, and it doesn't matter how crazy, how unrealistic it sounds. God, okay. Even if everyone tells me, like, who, who is this guy again? Just a carpenter's son. They were standing before the Savior of the world, and they didn't even know it. Everyone will please stand with me. We're going to pray. And maybe you're in here this morning. And you've got to say, Lucas, you know, I've got to be honest. I've lowered my expectations. I've maybe allowed some proximity issues to affect the way I think, to affect the way I believe. And God, I've got to be honest with you, God, I haven't really been expecting much out of you, Jesus. But God, at this moment, I just repent. Lord, I lift my eyes to the maker of heavens and earth, the God who takes a couple of fish and a couple of bread and multiplies it and feeds thousands. The God who speaks a word and causes mountains to rise up, that causes this earth to be formed, that breathes life into my very body. God, I want to expect more. I want to believe again. I want to have hope again. And God, I repent of thinking so lowly of you, of my spouse, of my kids, of my church, of my pastor, of my friends, of my neighbors. God, you're a big God. Lord, forgive me. God, help me to know the name in which you've stamped upon my life. God, help me to know the dream in which you've placed upon my spirit. God, I want to run in that direction. God, I want to run towards you. I want to sit at your feet. Lord, I don't ever want to enter another worship service again without actually worshiping. And God, so we repent. I repent. Say, come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you. If you're in here this morning and you don't know him, the Father is calling you home. He's saying, all is forgiven. All is well. You are loved. There is nothing that you have done that will erase my love for you. And you know that you just need to get right with God. You need to give your life to Him. You don't need to go another moment without having Jesus in your life. If that's you and you're in here and you want to make Him the Lord of your life, will you do me a favor? Will you just raise your hand real high in the air? Thank you, Lord. Is there anybody else? Do not miss this moment. Is there anybody else? You don't want to go another day without Jesus.
I'm going to ask all of us to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, God, I repent. I ask that you come into my life. I surrender all to you. My life is yours. God, fill my heart. Fill my mind. I am your child. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, guys, somebody in here just gave their life to the Lord. Can we just give it up for Jesus? This is a moment that your life has changed forever. You have stepped out of darkness and into the light. And even at this moment, the angels are rejoicing. Amen? Can we worship one more time? Let's do it.